It's good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate you all being here. Special welcome to our visitors. Thank you all for coming our way. Appreciate you, you being here. Thank you to the men who have led us in our worship so far. It's been encouraging, and it is good to be able to come together on the first day of the week and do those things that we have been prescribed to do to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wanted to start this morning a little bit differently than I normally would. I wanted to start this morning giving you some headlines, some recent headlines. Here's the first one. Report. Woman has boyfriend punched stomach repeatedly to kill unborn baby. County weighing murder charge. As we read through these, I want to assure you that these are real headlines. That these come from legitimate news sources. The next one. Science expert Michelle Wolf. Abortion doesn't kill a baby, it stops a baby from happening. That science expert is said kind of tongue-in-cheek. Michelle Wolf is a comedian who's not very funny at all. Third, ball and chain of Irish abortion ban finally gone, Claire Daly says. Claire Daly is a politician in Ireland, and she has been instrumental in getting the ban of abortion in the country of Ireland lifted calling it a ball and chain. Woman set kidnapped baby boy on fire, left him to die on the train tracks, police say. That baby boy died. Planned Parenthood to teach women how to brag about their abortion. Do these turn your stomach? It's terrible to even have to put these in front of you. But it makes the point about where our society is today and how our society feels about life. This morning I wanted to spend some time talking about the sanctity of life. Those headlines are gut-wrenching, and they're terrible. And they show and demonstrate what people can do to other people. But I want to talk this morning about what God has to say about life, why it is that he is so important as we talk about these things, and let us remember and focus on how precious life is. Let's start by understanding a few things. Let's start by understanding that God is in control of life. And he is so because he created all life. Go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 1 in verse 20. It says, Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. In verse 24, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their own kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts and earth after their own kind. And it was so. 
And down in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We understand through verses like these and others that God is the creator. Heavens and the earth and all living creatures thereof. God is in control of life because he created life. All these things that live and move around us, these are created by God. God is in control of life because he created life and because he did, he makes the rules. Look with me in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We have been studying here recently in our Wednesday night classes, going through the story of the Bible. We were here recently about the story of Cain and Abel, the first two offspring from Adam and Eve. And we remember the story well, how Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to the Lord, and the Lord liked Abel's sacrifice, but had no regard for Cain's sacrifice, and because of that, Cain's countenance fell. Read in verse 6, beginning in chapter 4 of Genesis, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about while they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. I am not my brother's keeper. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on earth. Here we have the record of the first murder in the world. We have a record that God says, because you have done this, Cain, there are consequences for it. Because you are not to put your hand to your brother to kill him. And because you have, there's consequences for it. Over in chapter 9 of Genesis, this is after the events that take place of the flood. And God has some instructions for Noah. And amongst those instructions, we see the, the institution of capital punishment. Chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And we made the point that this is capital punishment. This is God saying, because you have killed my creation, by my creation you're going to be killed. God is in control. He gets to make the rules because he made all life. We get to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Among the Ten Commandments, guess what? You shall not murder. We see it over and over and over again. Look at with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, our Lord takes up this argument, this discourse about murder, as he has given his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. It says, you have heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever whoever should say to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Our Lord is teaching here about the spirit of the law. The Pharisees and scribes, they knew the letter of the law, but they'd lost the spirit of the law. And our Lord is saying, yes, murder is wrong, but when you have the condition in your heart that leads you to murder, that's wrong too. God is in control of life, and it's precious to him. Let's consider some more about God and life. And let's start here. We understand that God, as we've mentioned, is the creator and the giver of life. We read that from Genesis chapter 1. The accounts there of our Lord creating life. Look what David wrote in Psalm 139. He said, For you have formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and your book were all well written. That days were, were ordained for me when as yet they were not one of them. So much is said in this. But David is saying, I am skillfully, wonderfully, and fearfully made in my mother's womb. What does that tell us? Tell us is that God's in control. Skillfully and wonderfully made. Comes down to the very end, we talks about the days that were ordained for him. That God had already planned them out before he was ever even born. How can he do that? Because God is all-knowing. He is the creator and the giver of life. Look over in Acts chapter 17 with me. Acts chapter 17. This famous passage here that Paul gives, the Sermon on Mars Hill, as he's speaking there at the Areopagus. Verse 24, Acts chapter 17 says the God who made the world is in all thing, the, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life and breath in all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. You see, God is in control. Paul's here saying that from one man, God made all the nations. He's determined their habitation, their boundaries. Doesn't that sound what, what, a lot like what David was saying? And God formed him in his mother's womb and determined for him the days before he was ever even born. God is the creator and the giver of life. 
God is also the giver of the soul. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God breathed into this creature that he had formed from the, living, from the dust of the ground, and he became a living being. Ecclesiastes, Solomon has this to say about this very same thing, about dust and spirit. And Solomon says this about when one passes away. He says, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. You see, it is God who gives us the spirit. We are here today because our parents came together and created us. They bore us. But it's God who gives us the Spirit. As Ecclesiastes, as Solomon is saying here, when we die, our bodies go back to dust from where they came. And our spirit goes back to God because he gave it. God is the giver of the soul. God is also the provider of salvation. We talked this morning at length in our class on Peter, about salvation and what it means. And all those things that we talked about, how, how it is so much, all comes from the fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And that couldn't have taken place without God. We know this passage very well. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's God providing salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, and the life that he had. Look with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We think about the providing of salvation and what God has done and what Jesus Christ has done. Think about passages like this. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, whom, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Therefore... Also God has highly exalted in him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, and those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and those who are under the earth. God has provided salvation through this man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus emptied himself and left heaven. Why? So that he could save mankind from their sins. And it took the giving of his life to accomplish that. How precious is life that it took the life of the only begotten Son of God to redeem man from his sin. Look over in Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 16. 
says, For where there a, there a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never enforced while they are made, uh, while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God uh, commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels in the ministry of the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sins. The Hebrew writer is talking about the things under the old law. He'll go on to talk about the things under the law of Christ. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. What did it take? It took the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from sins. You see, God is the provider of salvation. And it took the death of his son in order to bring that to mankind. God is also the sustainer of life. Look back a couple of chapters in Hebrews, back to chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification for for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels and an inheritance and more excellent name than they. It says there that Jesus Christ upholds all things by the power of his word. So not only is the God the giver of life and the sustainer of life, or the, um, the giver of life and the giver of the soul and the provider of salvation, but he also holds all this in his hand. He sustains life through his son, Jesus Christ. Similarly, over in Colossians chapter 1, go there with me and look at that passage. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> We read part of this a minute ago, beginning of verse 15. It says, And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions and rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was his Father's good pleasure and all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having been made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things of the earth or in the heavens. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to save man from his sins. And he is the sustainer of all things, upholds all things. This one, Jesus Christ, is the sustainer of life. So how should we regard the sanctity of life? We started off looking at those terrible headlines and 
wondering, have we lost our compassion for one another? How should we hold the sanctity of life? Remember what we've been saying here, that God is in control of life. That he is the creator of all life. That he is the one who gets to make the rules. He is the one who gives us the soul. And he is the one who provides us with salvation. And it is only through the death of his son that salvation is possible. He is the sustainer of all things through his son. So we see how God sees life, how God holds the sanctity of life. And when we transgress that and take another's life, we're in trouble. To take a life is to defy the Almighty God. God created life. God gets to make the rules about life. And he sees life as something very precious. We have laws throughout Scripture about capital punishment, about how it's wrong to murder, and there's consequences for it. So you see, God holds it very succinctly. God holds life very preciously, better said. And we should do the same. We should have the same kind of reverence and the same kind of sanctity towards life. Because if we don't, we are transgressing the Almighty God, the Creator. God holds life very precious. So precious that it took the death of His Son, a precious life indeed, to redeem us from our sins. We get to be here today. We get to come to worship, to stand in the presence of our God, to worship Him, to be reminded of the great sacrifice that our Lord made, all because of Him. Jesus' life was very precious, so precious that it can save our souls. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one. To understand how precious life is and know that there's something waiting for us at the end of this life. There's a life apart from the presence of God and there's a life in eternity in the presence of God. The decisions we make in this life will determine which way we go. And I implore you to choose life. And choose a life lived to Christ. If you're not a child of God, you can become one. If as a child of God you need prayers on your behalf, you need to be encouraged. I implore you to make that right as well. Whatever you, your needs may be, you can let them know, be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.